I've been thinking a lot of lately uh, about the Good Samaritan. My voice is still recovering from basketball season. <laughs> but it has gotten better. Um, this is a Jamie Hammond breakdown of a parable Jesus gave. Uh, a famous parable, really. And uh, we, we did it on Facebook while the city was uh, rioting um, last year. And... Um, a lot of times when we talk about the Good Samaritan, we, we, uh, or, you know, how he saves a guy, you know, and we talk about loving your neighbor, but to preface that whole story, the very reason Jesus ever even tells that story is a Jewish teacher of the law who is, says, ask Jesus, who's my neighbor, because he wants to choose who his neighbor is. Luke 10, 25 through 27 a certain lawyer arose to try and test and tempt him. That trans, that in the Greek language, he is a, he is a Jewish scholar. Um, saying, teacher, what am I to do to inherit every, everlasting life? Well, we don't need to know that, do we? To inherit ever, everlasting life, it says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, right, that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Well, n- remember now, this is a time there were no Christians, Jesus had not died. His blood had not been shed. They were under an old covenant. There was no New Testament written. This book wasn't even written. And he says, what am I to do to inherit everlasting life? Jesus said, what's in the law? What's in the law? L-A-W. Old Testament. Old covenant. Covenant you're not under. You know what the man says? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And, all, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Amen. We're all so good at doing that. Really. It's impossible to love your Lord your God with all your mind. It is. I'm coaching a girls varsity basketball game. I'll pre- watching a movie. Are you, watch, are, you, are you loving them with all your mind? Honey, did you see that? Did you see, did you see Tom Cruise jump out of that airplane? Are you loving them with all your mind? Coaching a basketball game uh, this year, eight minutes into the game, we were playing a team that was not as talented as us. We had 10 fouls in eight minutes. They had two fouls. My two best players were down on the bench for the rest of the half, eight minutes to go in the half, and it was a dire situation. It, I mean, I know this is girls playing basketball, right? And it's all a game. Keep that in mind as you hear today's sermon. Um, and I was desperate and I was frustrated. And the, the ref runs by. And I know this is going to offend some people. It's just the truth, though. It's just me being honest. Me being honest. I said, you suck. <laughs> just that loud. Right in his ear. This high school girls varsity game. Turns around, tees me, sits me down. They're over there shooting free throws. I wasn't really loving the Lord my God with all my mind and all my heart and all my soul. And Jesus said, that's how you get everlasting life. It's impossible to do that. That's why it's the law. You can never, never obey the whole law. Do you understand? So that's not everlasting life now. And... It's impossible to do that. 
Luke 10, 28 and 29, Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live, enjoy, enjoy active, blessed, endless life in the kingdom of God. And he determined to acquit himself of reproach and said, who is my neighbor? Okay? The lawyer said, who is my neighbor? Well, I thought your neighbor was the people that live next to you. No. And he makes the point. If you study it out, he's saying he wants to choose who he loves. So I'm going to paraphrase for you quickly the good Samaritan here. Certain man, uh, Luke 10, 30 Certain man from Jerusalem to Jericho fell among the robbers, stripped him of his clothes, took off all his clothes, took all his belongings, beat him up till he was half dead, left him on the side of the road. Now, by coincidence, a religious leader, a priest, walked by, saw the beaten, bleeding man with no clothes on, and went to the other side of the road. Another religious leader, a Levite, in verse 32, a Jewish religious leader, came by, did the same thing, switched to this other side of the road. You have to understand, this is very, uh, we talk about racial tension. The Jews ha- hated the Romans. The Romans had the, com- the, the country occupied by, by their military. Um, you, had, uh, you had the Jews also hated the Samaritans, who weren't fully Jews, so they didn't acknowledge them, didn't talk to them, didn't treat them even as human beings. Um, And so now you have a Samaritan man in 33, verse 33, who as he traveled along, came down to where he was, saw the man. He was moved with pity and sympathy. Ten years ago, I saw a girl die out on Hemlock, hit by a car, and I was very, right there, I just saw it happen. I saw her last breath, I saw her last words about younger girl. And I looked at it, and I looked at how I reacted and, 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 and I just thought, why didn't I even, three days later, why didn't I feel anything? And he said, because you've seen that a thousand times on TV. You know, watching Breaking Bad, you know, or whatever. All the murders, all the deaths, all the people dying. Can you even count how many times? And you expect that when you see it for the real? And, and, it, and, and you feel like you're watching something on TV. It, it, it's how hardened we are. Would you even, if you, there was a man bleeding on the side of the road, would you even stop? I think it depends on the part of town, doesn't it? If you stop. Well, this guy did. He dressed his wounds immediately, pouring on them oil and wine, then set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day took two denarii, two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I return. Jesus said, which of these three do you think proved himself a neighbor to him that fell among the robbers? The man answered, the one who showed him pity and mercy. Jesus said, go and show pity and mercy. But not just to the guy that lives right next to you. And you don't love the guy that lives right next to you like you love yourself. You, every time you order a large pizza man pizza with extra jalapenos, you order him one. Because you're loving yourself. I love myself. I know I'm loving myself. Seriously, you mow his lawn when you mow your lawn. You don't. 
But really, if you look at this in detail, Jesus starts to paint a pretty wild picture here that until I heard Jamie explain it, I had never thought of it this way. He's not just talking about the one man that sees the bleeding man down on the side of the road. He's talking about two religious leaders who choose to look the other way from the pain of the bleeding man. I believe the church's role in this, or at least part of their role in this, is to play the role of the Good Samaritan and not being the religious leaders who choose to look away from the pain of the black community or any other community in this day and age. See the bleeding man on the side of the road and lift him up in any way possible. Yes, half the church's role is restoration right now. But it's to help your neighbor. And let's talk about one of the primary reasons why I do not look anything close to Jesus Christ. And in my judgmental opinion, most people I deal with don't look anything like Jesus Christ that I read about. We're supposed to be transformed according to 2 Corinthians 3.18. And all of us with an unveiled face because we, the, the veil has been ripped. Remember Moses had a veil over his face. They saw the glory anyways. As in the mirror of the glory of God are constantly being transfigured in, into his very own image. In ever increasing splendor. And to one degree of glory to another Really? There was a time for numerous years where I li- I promise you, I spent four hours a day, probably at least six days a week, either meditating, listening to the word, praying in tongues, confessing scripture, doing Jamie Hammond's breathing exercises, and just thinking about God. And, I, and now I can, I'm telling you, I, I do not do that amount of time daily. But you know, through all that, I'll be really honest with you, most places we traveled to this year, for the girls' varsity basketball team at Maranatha, and everyone I dealt with outside my team in February and March, I can tell you I look nothing like, nothing close to a picture of Jesus Christ. The point is there are many reasons, but we are hitting a primary reason today why a lot of people are not walking around, at least emotionally, acting like Jesus Christ. By the end of the basketball season, I realized I needed to at least go to God in regard to my demeanor, my countenance, my social interactions, and my tone of voice in the basketball world. See, I come to church and preach, and you would never know. I had just screamed at somebody on Friday. (laughs) You know, right down to being good listeners, you know, sometimes I'm just being honest out in the lobby in between services and Somebody starts in on a story, you know, and you're listening, and then you fade off, and you think about maybe about a large Godfather's pizza after the service, and then one minute later, you fade back into the story, and you realize you don't know what they're talking about. And so then you try very hard to act very focused and try to pick up on where the story is in case they ask you a question. My point is, I'm not a very good listener, but that's where it starts. I know that Jesus Christ, I'm sure that he was a very good listener. The New Testament gives indications in the end times church uniting, not just living word and living word Northwest, right? How? The Lutherans, the Baptists, the Catholics. But it will never unite until the majority of Christians, especially in this city, being that this city 
is where the end time revival, at least in the United States, will start. How do I know that? It was prophesied by the peanut farmer George Washington Carver that everything will begin here. At least the end time revival in the United States will begin here and flow south down the Mississippi. It was prophesied. You should check the accuracy of George Washington Carver's prophecies. Very accurate, man. Long time ago. Are you wondering why the Twin Cities and surrounding areas are in such spiritual turmoil and attack? Don't you ever wonder how the majority of Christians, let's just say with each other, not even with the world, could wind up being caring, considerate, open-minded, open-armed, non-judgmental, loving, listening, united group of people? It will be counterproductive for the next few minutes if you listen through the following filter. Thank God she's in this service. She needs this. Let's just try to put our own ability to cast judgment, accusations, condemnation, whether true or not, and not just be the ones that cast the stones, but the, the ones that listen. I've been around the church a long time, and I've never seen in my life so many Christians, either verbally, emotionally, through fault-finding, or through social media, stab so many other Christians in the back, and half the time they don't even have their facts straight. They haven't even gotten the other side of the story. But I am pointing my finger at, at, at myself. Why do sometimes do I participate or act like a mean Christian? Martin Luther King taught us you can't eradicate hate with hate. I'm talking to myself. Being mean to people that are mean to you or to your kids is not the answer. John 21, 20 through 23. Peter turned, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who do you think that is? The guy that wrote it, John, calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. The one who also had leaned back on his breast, thank you, John, at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he looks back at John. What about him? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to stay until I come, until I come back in the rapture, what's it to you? What concern is it of yours? What business is it of yours? You just follow me. So, okay, from that comment, word went out among the brethren that this disciple was not going to die. A rumor. But Jesus did not say to him he was going to die. So you had a rumor here, and I want to explain to how this rumor got out. And it's one of the very reasons why Christians are so mean. If you look at the baseline things here, the very rumor, this reason, this, the very reason this rumor spread, one of the reasons is why Christians are considered to be mean. There are so many people out there right now in the congregation or online who would never believe that they're judgmental. You ever go to someone's house? You know, I remember when I was 10 years old, I went to these people's house for a weekend. Am I offending anyone here? Are you uncomfortable? One time I went to this guy's house, and he wound up being my best friend. I was like 10 years old. We weren't allowed to listen to rock and roll or uh, anything. Um, <coughs> 
This, these, these kids could listen to whatever music they wanted to. They were from literally a very different culture than me. And they got to watch whatever they wanted to on TV. You know, I, I wasn't even allowed to watch Scooby-Doo because it, it came with a spirit of fear, you know. And Scooby-Doo didn't, didn't scare me. I just, I liked how he's, you know, like, you know, how he's, the R's replaced the S's. You know, he says, sorry, he's all, Rory, 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 Raggy, Raggy. I, you know, it's like Scooby-Doo. It's like hearing him talk even now. But I couldn't watch it. What about the kids that could, that, that could eat all the sugar cereal they wanted? We, we didn't get sugar cereal. And, you know, I said to my mom, I mean, if you look at those kids now, the sugar cereal didn't really hurt them. <laughs> I mean, I remember being in the car going somewhere with his family to church. We're going to church. It was a Christian family. Listen to 101.3. I'm sitting between the, my soon-to-be best friend and her sister. Parents are in the front seat, and they're jamming out to the Bee Gees more than a woman. Remember that song by the Gap Band? You dropped a bomb on me, baby. You dropped a bomb on me. I hung out with that family for the next six years. <laughs> he had a stereo in his room. He listened to rock and roll all night. I never went to sleep there. I just would listen to rock and roll all night because I'd never hear it again. I just remember the shock of seeing a different way of life. The way this other Christian family operated was so different, not just in what they let their kids do, but how they dealt with their kids. Not saying one way is wrong and one way is right. My kids are 27 and 24. I know that in hindsight, I would have loosened up a little, let them make a few of their own decisions. All of us have different ideals, or you could say a different set of normals. Part of our ideals come developing childhood, cultural ideas. The Midwest is different from the East Coast. That's a different culture in a lot of ways. We're not just talking about countries. You have childhood ideals. You have religious ideals, ideals from religious settings, the way you grew up. What we do with, I remember I was preaching in, a, in an Asian, in, in Singapore, and I'd done Indonesian churches. Dirt floors, people, so hot, people sleeping everywhere. It, it, you know, there's no toilet anywhere. There's, there's no outhouses. There's, so I go into Singapore to a regular church, more, more of a Chinese congregation, okay? Very reserved, normally. Well, they had flags and shofars, you know, those horns, ram's horns that Israelites, all over the walls. And I was like, well, that's interesting decoration, Flags and horns. Well, as soon as praise and worship started, all 50 people grabbed a flag or a horn. Not one person was in their seats except the guy that was going to preach a sermon. And I, I just, I couldn't grab a flag. I just couldn't grab a horn. I just didn't want to. And, and I just, I sat there and I judged them, you know, as they're dancing around the, you know, I'm just like, how did I get this job? And I judged them the whole time before I even preached. <laughs> so they didn't fit my ideals. And so 
what we do with those ideals, those cultural ideals, those childhood ideals is we take them everywhere we go, and a lot of times we carry them subconsciously, and we take our ideals, and we take those ideals to the story of God, and we take our ideals out of our culture or from our childhood to the story of Jesus, and a lot of times we take things out of the Bible, and we hear them through the filter of our normal, and we see words, and we translate them through our own ideals. For instance, If you see the word blessing in the Bible, in our American culture, you automatically think, well, that's success, career, and money. Blessed. But a lot of times in the Bible, blessing means nothing about that. But because of our culture, that's what we see. We listen to the teachings of Jesus, and we think we hear what he's saying. And here's what happened with, with these ideals, and we all have them. And then we believe that Jesus holds the same ideals. John 21, 13 through 16. Let me give you an example of one of my ideals. I came up with this one on myself. Uh, let's just go to John 2, 15. Having made a lash, a whip of cords. This is the Son of God himself. I meditated on that. But got the cords. How, do you, how long did it take him to make the whip? Was he, was he? He went out and made a whip with an intention, and he goes into the temple, throws the money all over the place, and turns over all the tables, verse 16, and then he sells the doves, which they're selling as sacrifices, so their sins can be covered, and goes off on everybody, right? Take my ideals, put them there, then I take a sermon, famous sermon of dads in 1986, all the Christians thought they should turn the other cheek at all times. And dad comes out with this sermon wearing a light blue velour sport coat. I remember I was sleeping in the sound booth. We had like 150 people. And he says, you, let me tell you what. Turn the other cheek for righteousness sake. That means you're persecuted for being a Christian. Because if a man comes into your house, this is the 80s, and he wants to rape your wife and kill your kids, you don't have to turn the other cheek. And all those men got up. Yeah. That was like freeing for the church. Oh, we don't have to turn the other cheek for everything. Well, boy, I took that message and I ran with that for 30 years. (laughs) I put, I filtered everything. Persecuted for being a Christian? Nope. Here we go. You know? Let's go. Along with, you know, I'm not being persecuted for being a Christian and Jesus went into the temple with a whip. I take my ideals into the basketball season. Maranatha's in a conference with three Catholic schools, two Lutheran schools, one Baptist school, and a uh, charter school, all different denominations. And I hear a couple of poison pills thrown my way from other coaches because the coaching world is just backstabbing place. And so I feel like, okay, they all feel like that about me. I just put them in a big blanket the whole conference. So every time I went out to one of their places, I had, I had an attitude already like, yeah, they don't like me. Catholics don't like me. Baptists don't like me. Lutherans don't like me. And Jesus going into the gym, I mean the temple with a whip. And it's a long February, March, 
And so I, one situation, we walk into this Catholic school. Everybody did COVID stuff different now. Girls are wearing masks. We're all wearing masks. That was half my problem. I wore it, wear a mask everywhere I coached. Turn my teeth yellow. But they wore them all day. They had to play in the mask, right? And I don't know what my problem was, but some coaches, some schools were very letter of the law by how they went through COVID regulations. Other schools were not. This one was, you had five basketballs on the chairs, on the benches. The benches are all, the chairs are all six feet apart. The basketballs that they left me are flat. So I go, hey, coach, can I get these out of the ball, ball ba- basket? Yeah. Well, all the ba- basketballs in the ball basket are, are not, they haven't been cleaned. So I'm throwing the basketballs out. Here you go, girls. And I hear, hey, what are you doing? From across the gym. And I was like, what are you doing? You know, I mean, I was just ready, you know. I didn't even know if he was yelling at me. I just assumed. And <laughs> the girls, you know, are in between us. So he's stomping across the floor. And they're, they're warming up. And I can just picture him, you know, they're doing layups, you know. I'm, I'm acting like I'm banking the ball off the, the backboard when I do this. I didn't expect It's a layup. So the girls are doing a layup. Oh, my gosh, he's fighting with another adult from another school. Did he just call that adult? Did he just told that adult he's, he's acting like a third grade principal? Oh, you know, I'm just picturing what are the girls thinking, right? I wasn't thinking that at the time. And he's right up on me, and he's basically another Jim Hammond. He's really good at it. Stomp me a few times. You have an 18-year educator basically that runs that Catholic school. Very high up in the high school league, esteemed man, you know, and, and a 15-year pastor, nose to nose, minutes before a children's basketball game, right? And it gets to the point where he says, it'll look bad, but I'll kick you out of here right now if you say one more word. Do you want to say another word? And I said, no. <laughs> and we sat there for a second. He said, do you want to start over? And I said, Yes. And it was just like the Lord just invaded. Because five minutes later, we've got mask on and we're walking through the gym and he's got his armor on and he's like, I tell you what, I just, there's none of these Scandinavians are up here like that. You know, they they just hold everything in. They can't, they're not like me and you. They can't just have it out and and let let each other know how they feel about each other and then realize they're going to be really good friends. I mean, I'm in New York. This is the way we operate. You know. (laughs) And then the next game, we're watching the boys. It's one of the few games we got to watch the boys team. And I just saw the girls over there. I'm still sitting next to my new friend. And they're just kind of shaking their head like, I thought they were going to start swinging. And now look at them. They're walking each other out to the bus after the game. But I took my, my, pre, my reasons in there, right? My attitude in there, knowing it's okay because Jesus went to the temple with a whip and Max Hammond says, don't turn the other cheek unless you're being persecuted for being a Christian. And I take them in there, principles I've lived by. <laughs> and so 
We take our ideals, we apply them to the Bible, or we take them to the New Testament teachings and we use them to speak our own ideals, which is a dangerous thing. You know that in that rumor we're talking about, the disciples thought John was going to live forever. That rumor gets rolling through people assuming Jesus said something he did not say. The reason we hear Jesus saying something that he's not saying is because we want to hear what we want to hear. Am I too loud? I feel like I'm yelling. You could say the main ideal in America is a successful career. I want to appear successful. When I walk in a room, I want people to know me and be impressed with me. Would you not agree that most people in America want that? But you could say the main ideals of a villager in the hills of Thailand are far, far different. They're probably not thinking about a successful career. I know they're not. They're thinking about their next meal or what that horrible rash is that looks like it's on fire going up their daughter's arm because they have no medical assistance, so you just got to hope it doesn't spread. That's when God has to show up. They're not thinking about their careers over there, trust me. Your ideals are supposed to be disrupted on a regular basis by the gospel. Your ideals, if your ideals are not being interrupted by the gospel, that's when alarm bells should be going off in your spirit, man. I myself had extended seasons of my ideals not being interrupted, i.e. February, March. That's when the alarm bells go off. If you're listening, I heard Judah Smith mention in a sermon just like this, very similar, there should be at least an occasional times where God tells you and makes you realize you are so wrong. I know from personal experience when you realize it, the fact that you've been in the middle of a valley, in my case, of meanness, being mean to people, trashing your enemies behind their backs because they get caught up because you get so caught up in their cause to bring you or your children down. You know I'm not angry right now, right? This is how I am. When's the last time you've said to yourself, I've been so wrong about that? It took that with that guy, that Catholic administrator, to make, he fixed it. Not me, not the, not the pastor. He fixed it, and, in brought, and God invaded this situation for the rest of the night. So John 21, 23, just quickly, let's look at it one more time. Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die. Did you see that right in the middle of that verse? Do you know they think, let me explain this to you. This book was compiled after John's death, okay? When John wrote this book, all the other disciples were already dead. We know that. And then the book was not put together in, in order until after he died. Keep, keep that in mind here, all right, as we move forward. You had all these people, if you look in the context of the conversation, saying John's going to live forever, they're saying Jesus is going to return in the rapture before John ever passes away. So you've got a rumor or a teaching spreading rapidly that was really sensational enough to seem like that's what they wanted to hear. You ever heard something bad about somebody that you dislike? 
And if you're honest with yourself, you tell yourself, that's what I wanted to hear. There's some about you. Grab it. Turn it over. Meditate. <laughs> you know, a whole group of people can be collectively wrong about one person and ruin their life. Remember Richard Jewell from the Olymp- Atlanta Olympics? They thought he, bom- he did that bomb. Never did it. Ruined his life. Ruined his life. So let's talk about this rumor that turned out not to be true because John didn't live forever. He was the youngest of the disciples, 17 to 20 years old. He had a different relationship with Jesus, a father-son type relationship. He's one of those lovable, artistic, creative type guys that even put it in his own book that he beat Peter in a race. Are you guys aware that at the conclusion of this gospel, if you follow the timeline, all these disciples were dead? John had started a church at Ephesus. The church was watching and hearing the rumors over 50 years later from that conversation. They thought when John, John would never die. Okay? He's not supposed to die, he's looking older. This is, this is all documented stuff. And from, from best that scholars can tell, it was very strong. You never have Jesus saying what they claimed he said. So John died. The church was in shock. It went in a tailspin. You know, people, he died. He, people leaving Christianity. You know, there, there's record of this stuff. Let me give you an indicator of an unhealthy approach the body of Christ, i.e. the church takes today. I see it so often where they prop these spiritual leaders up as heroes. And when they don't deliver the way people think they ought to deliver, or they sin like another human being, they tear the spiritual leader down that they used to overly prop up in their own eyes. So you have these spiritual leaders going from some type of overrated hero to being brought down by means of social media. So John dies of old age, the church goes into complete tailspin, and you know what? He's being trashed after he dies that he he did something wrong. John, 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 it's documented. When you break down this scripture, you know, they, they believe that Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die was added by the, compi- the guy that compiled the book to stop the rumor in Ephesus. Isn't that wild? I need to add this in there. And so Jesus actually did not make that statement, but the compiler of the book added the statement because there was so much despair and so many distraught believers basically losing their Christianity because John died before the rapture came. The rumor stayed alive on people's lips, words that Jesus had never even spoken for over 50 years. So we have our ideals. We superimpose our actual ideals on the teachings of Jesus. You don't think the devil is going to use other Christians to stop what, what you're doing? I mean, that's, that's mostly what has been used against this church, other Christians, other churches. I think he'll use other Christians more than the world. When things do not happen the way we claim Jesus said it should happen, you wind up with disparity between large groups of people in the church, and Christians get mean on all sides. 
usually on social media. And you take it all the way back to this person passing judgment through their own ideals. I'm talking to myself. Judgment on someone else to what they think they ought to be doing. Or judgment on someone else because they don't think that person, they're judging, is qualified to be doing what they're doing. So they anoint themselves God, judge, and jury. The woman that committed adultery was guilty. And, and they caught her in the act, but I'm just like, well, well where's the man? Where, where, what happened to him? Uh, and so what happens is, is uh, they, bring her, they bring her out there in front of Jesus, the Pharisees, guilty, all right? And he says, uh, they said, but under the law, women should be stoned, all right? So he, 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 uh, he bends down, he starts writing. They're on the temple. The temple is stoned. They're in the temple courtyard. It's stoned. He's writing on stone. What else was written on stones? He's telling, and they're asking about under the law. He's like, I think. There's a lot of takes on this. We'll find out when we get to heaven. I wrote the Ten Commandments, you know, is what he's saying. So maybe he's writing them out. I don't know. But then he stands up, let him who has no sin among you cast the first stone. And he goes back down and starts writing. Right? And they just stood there. It was awkward. And then one by one, they left. What did he just do? Jesus just publicly accused the public accusers of a guilty woman. Jesus just publicly, let's do what Jesus does. No, I'm just saying, let's look at Jesus. Jesus went into the temple with a whip. No, I'm not saying publicly accuse the public accusers. I'm just saying what Jesus did. Let God sort it out. Jesus publicly accused the public accusers and dealt with the guilty sinner in private. And they left her. And he said, who condemns you now, woman? And you know, condemn, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1, you're aware of that? If there's ever any condemnation in a sermon from people, it's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. Why did he give her the gift of no condemnation and then said, don't sin anymore? Have you ever been so caught up in your own condemnation where there's shame involved and you just keep, you know that you should not do the sin, that it's harming you, but you're so condemned that you, you just keep doing it? Anybody ever experienced that? Raise your hand. That's, that's addict talk. I'm not saying you're an addict. I'm not saying I wasn't. I'm just saying. You get so caught up in the condemnation. That's why he said, I'm not condemning you for all the men you've slept with. You had now have the power to go sin, sin no more. Okay? But the whole point of that is he publicly accused the public accusers and dealt with the person that was guilty in private and did not condemn her. Did not condemn her. Matthew 7, 2, for just as you judge and criticize words of Jesus and condemn others, you will be judged and criticized and condemned. Again, this is under the law now. There's, there's, when he's saying this, you know there's no Christians yet. Are you aware of that? Okay. 
in accordance with the measure you use to deal out to others, it will be dealt again to you. So I want to I go to these scriptures in Isaiah. I am aware that, that mom and dad did in these services, did a lot of prayer for the city, and that is good, and we should not let that go, but um, can, we just, can we just focus on the church and your families, extended families here? Can we say a prayer, speak the word, use your authority over yourself, your family, and your fellow, and everybody online, right? Listen, let me explain this to you. In righteousness thou shalt be established. We're going to say this in a second. That doesn't mean how good you are, all right? This is a new covenant prophecy here. It's a gift that he gave you. It's a gift that he says, I never sinned, and I'm going to give you this, and this is how God views you. It's going to be a lot for you to understand that God views you like you've never sinned. That's probably going to be your biggest challenge, but you have a gift of righteousness. If you are established in that, you're supposed to be far from oppression. You will not fear and from terror, and it will not come near you. Next verse. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. The Lord's saying, they ain't coming for me. Whoever shall gather together against you shall fall for your sake. I'm pointing at demons, not people. Although, you know, my flesh sometimes, I've stood on this scripture for a long time. It works. Sometimes it takes time, but it really does work. So whoever shall fall, gather together against you shall fall for your, for your sake. Next, verse 17, three verses. If you're established in the righteousness of God, no weapon formed against you or your family will prosper. You're about to say this. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is your heritage of the servant of the Lord. This is your heritage. You know that prayer in Ephesians? Out of the rich inheritance. Grant unto us out of the rich treasure of your glory. No, wrong one. I always pray to the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, grant unto us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, insight into mysteries and secrets that deepen into my knowledge of you. By having the eyes of our hearts flooded with light so we can know and understand the hope to which we have been called. And there it is. How rich is your glorious inheritance? The New Testament speaks of this inheritance. I'm trying to make the connection. Okay? This is your inheritance. Do you even see that? Let's... But listen to the very end. This is their heritage because their righteous, this is their heritage because their righteousness is what? It's of me. It's not yours. It's not how good you're acting. You've been forgiven for how bad you act or how good you think you act. You've been forgiven. And so this is a new covenant type prayer here. Can we just say this together? You know what it means now. Are you ready? Over your loved ones, your extended loved ones, your family. Everyone that your prayers, you extend your prayers to the city, to Brooklyn Center, Brooklyn Park, Minneapolis, St. Paul, the metro area. You ready? Let's start with verse 15. Every family in this church. Uh, verse 14, sorry. Ready? One, two, three. In righteousness shall we be established. We shall be far from oppression. For shalt thou not fear and know from terror, and it shall not come near us. Terror, not near you. All right? Behold, they shall surely gather together, not from the Lord. Whoever shall gather together against us shall fall for our sake. 
Next verse. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Can I just say that again? No weapon formed against these cities shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, we shall condemn. Maybe we say convict. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. 